Tonight we're looking at a psalm that I think really expresses really just a hunger for God and for his presence. We already sang a song this evening where some of these words are derived from. And uh, what, this me- what I want us to look at today is what does this psalm mean for us practically today? And so we're going to explore the original context, what the original meaning of the psalm was, what the writers were likely referring to when they wrote. We're going to also um, check out what the psalm was saying then, but also how it applies to various ways in our lives today. And so Psalm 84, if you want to go there, if you have a phone, if you want to just follow on the screen, I have uh, the words up there as well. But uh, Charles Spurgeon, a uh, well-known preacher and uh, writer, once called, called this the pearl of the Psalms, meaning he just had such a close connection to it. It was so meaningful to him. Let's read Psalm 84 and verse 1. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And so this is a psalm that is written about God and his presence. You see, one of the things I love about the psalms is like the raw emotion that is used in them. The author is expressing a longing of the heart, something that is really meaningful to them. And here the writer is expressing an absolute longing, a desire, a priority, if you will, that the dwelling place of God, that God's presence is the ultimate desire and to be there and to dwell there and to live among that. We see lines in verses one and two that say, my soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. The writer is not holding back here. There's just a raw emotion. You see, this isn't just some casual, like, yeah, it'd be cool to meet God, right? Like, the writer is not sitting there saying, yeah, you know, it'd be kind of fun to be in God's presence. But there's a longing, there's a hunger, there's a thirst, there's a desire, there's purpose here. It's not just being casual, it's not just uh, something that you kind of hope might, might fall upon you. It's, it's not just even being open to something, if I could say it like that. How many of you know in life there's a lot of times when we think that way? When we think, you know, I'd be open to it. Anyone ever thought that before? About an opportunity or about something that could happen. You think to yourself, well, yeah, I'd probably be open to that. Let me paint the scenario for you here tonight, okay? 
If someone were to come in here to our service and say that they were giving away a brand new vehicle to one person, okay? How many of us are open to this? Anyone? Anyone here open to it? Okay, hands are up, right? I see your hands, okay? I'd be open to this too, okay? I think for most of us, we'd be really open to that. But you know what I would probably end up doing? Let me just say this, okay? This might even be a bit selfish. You're just going to have to forgive me on this one, okay? I'd be open to it, but I'd probably do my best to meet that person, okay? I'd, I'd try to shake their hand. I'd try to have a conversation with them. I'd try to put myself in a place where maybe I have a better shot of being the person who was awarded this vehicle, okay? I'd probably switch from just having a casual, well, I'm open to that kind of idea. I might actually start pursuing it a little bit. Do you see where I'm going here? It's one thing to be open to something. It's another thing to pursue something. And so why do I even mention any of this? Well, because there's a big difference between being open to something and actually pursuing something. And yes, the psalmist, he's open and he has openness to God's presence. But even greater is there's a pursuit here. There's a hunger. There's a desire. There's a wanting more of what God has for them, right? The language used talks about longing and God's presence being one's deepest desire, and there's a big difference between simply being open to something and instead actually pursuing something. You see, many of us in our jobs are open to a raise and pay, but some of us go, go the extra mile and pursue it. Many of us would say that we're open to new opportunities, and others who seem to experience them got there by pursuing them. You know, we cannot simply live our Christian lives with an attitude that we're just open to whatever God has for us, church. But the scriptures, they always instruct us to go further. Amen? Always instruct us to go further. Our relationship with God must be something that we pursue and that we're intentional about and that we desire. And his presence isn't just something that we're open to, but we want more of it. And so how do we see God? How do we see his presence? Are we aware of it? Do we pursue him? You see, we need to go from an attitude of just being open. We need to go to an attitude of, I want to pursue the presence of God. I want all that God has for me. I want to know him. I want to get closer to him. You see, I didn't come to faith until I was 18 years old. And uh, 1819, I can't fully remember the time, but sometime in there, okay? And I remember when we were growing up, my mom became a Christian. when we were, I was probably about 13 or so. And she would wake up every morning and just spend an hour, sometimes crying, reading her Bible, praying, seeking his presence. And, and she pursued him. And she pursued God. And I remember as a teenager thinking to myself, if my mom does enough pursuing God for all of us, we're all going to be good, right? You know, it's just kind of the thinking I carried, which is not true. But it's the thinking I carried when I was a teenager. And when I became a Christian... I quickly realized that I can't just live off of what my mom does in her faith. I can't just live off her intimacy with God and her pursuit of God. I need to have my own intimacy with God. I need to have my own pursuit of his presence. I need to seek him myself. You see, in James chapter 4 and verse 8, we read these words. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And the amazing part about that verse is who draws first? We do. Now, this verse isn't talking about salvation where, you know, the Spirit leads us towards God, all that stuff. This is just talking about drawing near to God. And God has given us free will. And he's given us the ability to make a decision, 
Do we want to be near? Do we want to draw near? And so the scripture instructs us in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will. There's a promise. He will draw near to you. And so we start this psalm off talking about a longing for God's presence and knowing how priceless it is to encounter the living God. Now, this past week, as Pastor John, myself, and another gentleman, Tim, got together to talk about this verse, a couple of things we talked about was the original context. We talked about what it means for us. We talked about even some of the future implications of this text. And so we're going to look at that in a moment. But Pastor John's always good at finding the word that repeats itself, I find. And we see a word here throughout this psalm that repeats itself, and that's the word blessed. And blessed in Scripture is always greater than just favors, okay? Or good moments happening. This isn't just, I'm so blessed, you know, I got that parking spot near the entrance, okay? Now that's awesome if you got that, okay? But the word blessed goes far, 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 far beyond that. I used to have a friend who, whenever I'd get a good parking spot, used to say to me, well, that's God's favor. And I used to think, cool, but what about all the Christians who parked 30 rows back, right? Why didn't they get a spot where I did, right? But, you know, I get that those perks are nice, and the scriptures say to give thanks to God in everything, so give thanks to God for everything. But blessing in scripture goes much deeper. And so we see blessings for those who walk with God in this psalm. And the first one we see is found in verse 4. Psalm 84 and verse 4. And it says this, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. You see, verse 1 opened up by telling us how lovely God's dwelling place is. And in the context of the psalm, the dwelling place of God at this time was the temple. All right? It was the place where God's presence was. And access to the temple wasn't as easy as access to God's presence is right now for the people. And so the psalmist in verse 2 expresses this deep and intense longing to be in God's presence. And in Psalm 84 verse 3 even writes this, Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my God, my King. You see, the psalmist is even expressing some jealousy here over the small birds who have such unhindered access to the temple and the altar. They are even able to even build their nests for their young there. You see, the temple was the place where Israel was to have communion with God. And so the presence of God wasn't something that was treated casually, but there was a hunger for it. There was a desire for it. There was a reverence for it. There's a blessing to be in God's presence. I wonder sometimes, do we ever just take his presence for granted sometimes? Are we aware of it? Are we consciously aware that he's with us? And so the context of this psalm is talking about the journey to the temple, to the place where God dwelt, and it can be difficult for us to get our minds around this in our current culture and context because we have access to God's presence all the time. But, and we don't need to necessarily enter a certain place like they did in this context. But when studying this, I had to think about what would be the equivalent thing in our culture. And I guess in our culture, the equivalent journey being made would be making our journey to church and joining together with other believers as the presence of God is among us. Amen? And we worship, and we come together, and we're supposed to edify one another and encourage one another and build each other up. And the journey to church is supposed to be something that we're excited about. 
You see, even though God's presence is everywhere, the church is still vitally important as it's where we gather together, we praise them together, we encourage one another, we build each other up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said it like this in verse 16. He said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Midst, sorry. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. The Apostle Paul is addressing things that were happening in the church of Corinth. And he's saying, don't you know that you yourselves, the church, are God's temple? Now, some of you are thinking, well, is he addressing the church or the person? He's addressing the, the church here. We'll get to chapter 6 in a second, okay? But the scripture is clear that when the church is together, we can rest assured that God's presence is among us. And it's a beautiful thing. And so gathering together is of tremendous importance, and we should never doubt that. You see, we talked about this a few weeks back in our last sermon series, that, that we were never meant to do this life alone. God never intended for us to live this faith out simply as individuals, but gathering and the church was his idea. It was his ideal for us. And so in this context of the psalm, if gathering wasn't important, then the Jewish people wouldn't need to journey three times a year and come together and celebrate and have feasts if it wasn't important. If gathering wasn't important, then the scriptures wouldn't, wouldn't urge us to never stop gathering together. You see, even God immediately in the scriptures looked down in the book of Genesis and thought it's not good for him to be alone. And so the idea was always community and bringing people together. And so the church is very much a place where we gather together, we experience God's presence together. Not the only place, but God is always with, always with you. But nonetheless, there's something about the church coming together that's always encouraged and commended in the scriptures and that pleases the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. You see, to be in God's presence is priceless. Do we long for it? Or have we perhaps maybe become a bit neglectful of it. Are we excited to get to church? I heard some cheers first thing today when we came together, right? That there's a joy in this. There's, there, 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 there's, there's a joy in this. There's something just awesome about the church coming together. It's exciting. And in these days, it was exciting to make that trip to the temple. But maybe we've gone it alone too much. Maybe we've become too much like individuals, but church, we're at our best when we're encouraging one another. Amen? When we come together in his presence and allow him to minister to us, allow him to change us, allow him to bring us closer to him. It's an amazing thing. The second blessing, uh, blessing we see in this is in verse 5, where it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. To have God with you changes everything about how you live and see the world. Amen? To have God with you changes everything about how you live and see the world. You see, pilgrimage, the context here would have been the highways that the Israelites uh, uh, took to observe the religious festivals in Jerusalem. And just like their ancestors experienced God's hand in favor on their way to Sinai, they also now experience his hand as they journey through life. And how much more is this true for us who have access to God's presence and know he's with us every single day? How does it change things to know that God desires to guide you and give you strength as you journey in this world? That could be such a game-changing idea for you if you recognize the presence of God with you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And it's an amazing truth that God is with you. That God is with you, amen? And it's not simply about the things that we do for God. It's recognizing that in everything we do, that God's with us. And we're with him. And there's a blessedness in that. You see, in Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul and Silas were in prison. And they kind of took this whole recognizing that God's hand was upon them on the journey to the next level. Because they were in jail. And they shouldn't have been in jail. They were in there for unjust reasons. And... Uh, it says in verse 16 in the book of Acts that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Exactly what every one of us would do if we were sent to jail unjustly, right? This is an amazing thing that they're doing here. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself but because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're still here. You see, Paul and Silas took this understanding of God's strength with those on pilgrimage to the next level here. They are in jail for unjust causes. And so what do they do? Well, of course, they start worshiping and singing songs to God in jail, Right? And I'm not going to lie, that's probably not what I'd be doing, okay? I'd probably be a little bit anxious and wondering what is happening. But they seem to understand something that most of us miss. And it's that even in this situation right here, as unjust as it is, they understand this, that God is still with them. God is their strength. He is with them even on this part of the journey. And so when that earthquake happens and when the chains fall off and what most of us would probably think, God's releasing them. Wouldn't you, didn't you think that, right? Wouldn't you think that if you were in that situation? And they can, they can leave and the chains are off. You know, they can just leave. I'm peacing out. See you later. It's been good to be here. But no. They actually take it as a moment to love and minister to the jail guard who knows he's going to be in big trouble and have a tough time explaining how everyone got free. And they stay. And they minister to him. And if you keep reading in the chapter, they go with him, his family's saved, and all sorts of amazing things happen through this story. But it takes the strength from beyond themselves to do this. Agreed? <laughs> the strength they had wasn't their best ability or their ability, but it was the power of God. It was the presence of God with them. The Holy Spirit who strengthened them. No matter what, they recognized that they weren't alone, but that God was present with them. Do you recognize that wherever you are, that he's with you today? Do we see that it's not so much about what we do for God that matters on the journey of life, but that everything we do, everywhere we go, that we're with him and he's with us? There's a longing for his presence. There's a longing to be with him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 it says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? This is talking to individuals. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. I like how the message translates Psalm 84.5. It says, and how blessed are those in whom you live, whose lives become roads you travel. That's a great way of putting it. In whom you live, whose lives become roads that you travel. As we seek to live for him and do good things that honor him, we need to remember the blessing, church, that you don't walk alone. That he's with you. He's always with you. And we could take comfort in that. We could take peace in that. We could take joy in that. 
And finally, the third blessing we see in this psalm is found in verse 12. And it says, Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is our part. <laughs> blessed is the one who trusts in you. You see, the third use of the term blessed in Psalm 84 speaks of those who put their trust in God. In the final three verses of this psalm, let's go to the, just the next slide here. In the final three verses of this psalm, we read this. It all kind of comes together. We read, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And we sang that. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord bestow his favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. God's our strength. God is with us. But Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. You see, the language here is a language to want to know him more. The psalmist goes as far as saying, I'd rather do an ordinary job such as doorkeeping there in his presence than dwell in the wicked and enjoy anything there, right? I'd rather just be there in his presence. Blessed are those who trust him. And so trusting in God means that we're not going to avoid him and that we're not just going to try to do everything on our own strength and we're not just going to try to make things happen by ourselves because we live in a culture that is self-sufficient. We live in a culture that says take care of yourself, make things happen on your own, uh, carry your own weight, carry your own problems. But to trust in him means to trust in him for salvation, yes, but also to trust in him for everything, amen? And to go to him and to bring our life to him before him and to ask for his help and to depend on him and to know that God's got you. Sometimes we want to say, I got this. And we, we recognize it's a little bit overwhelming for us. We need to go to him and recognize that he has us. Amen. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus was talking about this. And this came up in one of our prayer meetings here this past week. We prayed at the church um, Tuesday to Thursday at 9.45 a.m. Yes, that was a quick plug for that. But uh, the, these verses came up in the prayer meeting that we were at on Wednesday. And it's, Jesus was addressing this idea of what it means to trust in God. What does it mean to trust God? Well, it means that we're not just going to trust him for one thing. We're going to trust him in everything. And we're always going to trust him. And we're going to be persistent about it. And we're going to go about it. In Matthew chapter 7 and verses 7 to 8, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And the language that the book of Matthew uses here doesn't suggest that we just ask once or that we just seek once or that we simply knock once. But ask, seek, knock, it has this not just one-time thing, but its verb is continuous. Jesus uses what is called the present imperative tense. See, I can barely say that, okay? And this carries with it the idea that we will keep on doing this. We will keep asking. We will keep seeking. We will keep knocking. Why? Because we trust him. We trust him. You see... Coming into a relationship with God isn't just a one-time moment or transaction, but it's a lifelong journey as we trust him. And we ask, and we seek, and we knock. When you choose to pursue God, what you are essentially saying is, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust that you're faithful and that you're with me and that whatever's going on, God, that you're with me and that you can handle things. 
Our pursuit of God takes us from, from, from pride and arrogance that sometimes thinks, you know, I got this or I can handle this on my own. In a self-sufficient culture where we don't like to sometimes ask for help because we think we might appear weak in doing so, pursuing God is a way of living humbly and acknowledging that we need him, amen, and that we depend on him. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 3, it says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. That's, that's where we fall back sometimes. In all your ways, acknowledge him. and everything, acknowledge him. And what will happen? He will make straight your paths. You see, the psalm that we read today is about longing for the presence of God. In those days, it was longing for that trip to the temple. Knowing that even in the everyday of life, that God's going to be with you. Knowing that you can trust him. Knowing that, you know, there's a blessing for those who do these things. In our day and age, this could mean, you know, longing to come together right here as a church. His presence is among us. Amen? We are God's temple. We are the body. And he's with us. And we experience his presence. And we could bless and encourage one another. But we also recognize that God's always with us by the Holy Spirit. And there's even a part of this psalm. When I sing these songs, what I often think of is, is eternity right? It's heaven, the place where God dwells, being there forever. There's that part of it as well. But Jesus, I think, said it best in the gospel of Matthew. He was addressing the, the worries of the world. He was addressing the concerns of the world. He was talking about all the ways in which we can kind of be distracted and focused by different things. But he said this in Matthew 6.33. He said, but seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you or will be added to you. Amen? Seek first his kingdom. Seek him first. Long for him. Desire him. Make him our pursuit. Worship team, you can come on out. Um, we're going to go to God in just a moment, and we're going to worship him, and we're going to bring ourselves before him. You see, in John 14, 1, Jesus was giving comfort to the crowds around him, and he said this. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. How many of you know that we, we can put our trust in God tonight? Amen? How many of you know that he's worthy? How many of you know that he's faithful, right? And we can and we should trust him. We need to be people who ask, people who seek, and people who knock, keeping our eyes on God because he is to be our deepest, deepest, deepest desire. Amen? And so tonight, I think what we're going to do in a moment is I'm just going to pray for us. And I think each one of us will respond in our own way tonight. I think for some of us, we're going to have a moment here where we, you know, just worship and we thank him and we praise him. Maybe it's a moment where you, you, you spend a little time praying. Maybe it's a repentant moment where you recognize, you know, I haven't made pursuing you my priority. I haven't made pursuing your presence my priority. Maybe for some of us, we just thank him and recognize the blessings that he's giving us on this journey of life. And maybe for others of us, it's a moment for us just to bring something before him, something in our lives that we need to just trust him for, knowing that maybe we've carried it too long ourselves, but we need to just hand it over to him and make a decision to trust him in that. Wherever we're at today, we all have a moment to come before him. And my prayer is that God would minister to our hearts however he wants to. Amen.
Why don't you stand with me? And I want to pray for us. And then we're going to spend some time just worshiping him tonight. And so, Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for Psalm 84. I thank you, Lord, that your dwelling place is amazing, God, and that our hearts and souls long for it, Lord. I pray, God, that we'd have greater hunger for you. I pray we'd have greater hunger, Lord God, for others to come to know you. I thank you, Lord, that you walk with us wherever we go, that you're with us on the journey. And I just pray, God, that any situations that we're carrying, Lord, help us just to give them to you tonight. Help us to trust you. Help us to have renewed trust, God, because you are faithful, you are good, and you are worthy. And so, Lord, speak to our hearts, guide us, direct us, as we each have a moment here worshiping you and just spending time with you. Lord God, may you be blessed and lifted up, and may you encourage each one tonight. Thank you for your word, we pray in Jesus' name.